It's podcast 42 on a swelteringly hot English day. It's almost as hot as Beppy Colombo's going to get. That hot? Yeah, that hot. Matt, I hope wherever you are, you've got ice in your glass. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I'm literally recording in a cupboard in the college. Oh, God. It's good. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. This is the sort of thing that you do for the space industry. Exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hope people. I hope people remember you. They now. will. Putting the ace. Putting the ace. Back into space. Back into space. Oh yeah. From a cupboard. Baby space. I'm quite excited about the podcast this week because there's been lots going on. Yeah, there has. Do you know, last night I stayed up, uh, and I'm quite lucky actually because it was the third attempt. SpaceX's third attempt at, at flying. How did they get uh, on? It was a very successful launch. They're smashing it at the moment, aren't they? We should, we should, we should really talk about SpaceX because SpaceX are absolutely doing the business right now. And now, Matt, they've got an extra... Not only are they SpaceX, they're SpaceX, but they're bigger. Let me tell you why. Because they've only gone and got two more acres at Port Canaveral. <laughs> they have got two more yeah, acres yeah, at Port yeah. Canaveral. Stretching out, you know. Now, now they're, they're big dogs. Yeah, it's because they've run out of room for all these second-hand boosters that keep coming back. Don't say second-hand, Matt. We've talked about no, sorry. this. Flight-proven boosters that come back. Thank you. And do you, know what, do you know what's really exciting about this? Go on. Is that the architectural firm helping them refurbish these facilities yeah. is Atkins, which, who I, I used to work for Atkins. L- the diet people. No, no, W.S. Atkins, <laughs> the consultancy worldwide. That makes much more sense than don't uh, eat any bread. I didn't build a space facility, but I did build the noise fences from Wisley to Chertsey along the M25. You know, I hold it just as high, Matt. Thanks, thanks. Uh, What's brilliant, what is brilliant, is this: is the fact that SpaceX, in the last 12 days, have launched three times. So to try and put that into perspective... They, they are now on 10 launches for the year, and most of those launches have happened in the second half, or the second quarter of that year. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? Do you think it's a point to prove, because, you know, they didn't have a great last half year to 2016? Well, no, they had a... I mean, they did have a really bad ending to last year, yeah. but, the, but it was only, like, a month ago that... Um, I was listening to some some of our fellow podcasters, oh yeah, uh, space podcasters, and there was the discussion came up quite a lot about whether SpaceX were going to reach their this fabled twelve launches a year, and mm. and like they're, they're clearly going to do that, you know, barring a disaster, yeah. you know, they're, they're they're actually on for sort of twenty or twenty two, including the year. a possibly a Falcon Heavy, yeah, exactly, take, and you know it's that. going so well for them. That it, yeah, four launches in thirty-two days. So the, you know, so what this do you is, think? This is... I think that because if you remember, at the end of twenty sixteen, we did our uh, list of who who's done the most launches geographically, yeah. and it was USA, wasn't it? I think that they're yeah, going to do it again. But yeah, well, the, for the first time ever, they'd beaten. Well, not the first time ever. First time in a long time, they'd beaten Russia. Russia. Yeah. But yeah, but I mean, yeah, SpaceX are going to sort of do that figure on their own. So, you know, it's going to make the United States figures look really, really good. Absolutely. You know, it's could, a good you thing. Know, so that, 
So uh, yeah, SpaceX are really, really, really going very, very well. And um, yeah, the one thing that should be noted is uh, uh, not on this launch, because th this launch actually was one of those launches where the Intel sat that they were carrying was so heavy mm. and needed to go so high that there was just no way you could reuse that booster. It needed all the fuel it could get yeah. to get to get this thing up there. So it was a really heavy satellite. Uh, in fact, it weighed 6,761 kilograms, and yeah. a lot of that weight was extra fuel to get it into its very, very sort of high orbit. Um, just to put that into perspective, how much do you bench press, Matt, now? No, I bench press a similar sort of weight. It's the same sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. So I can bench pre press an Intel Sat 35 e pretty much. <laughs> so, but one thing's really cool are the, are the grid fins. This caused quite a bit of commotion on Twitter. Okay. Uh, uh, where uh, the the um, last couple of uh, flights reused the, the the reusable rockets that came back down were using titanium grid fins. I like the sound of them. Well, it's a statement of intent because like the aluminium ones were all well and good, but they kind of got a bit burny. And so that they, yeah. you couldn't really use them again. Whereas the titanium ones, obviously, are a lot more expensive. But it basically says we're going to use this booster over and over and over and over again. So it's a kind of reusability is here to stay. Are there some nice pictures that we can see? Because now I'm intrigued. Oh yeah, and there's lots of nice pictures. Because normally they were white, but now they've got they're just this gnarly titanium-looking fins. It doesn't matter Red. if you're titanium fins. Or white. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, <laughs> I think they're better. Just loads more expensive. Yeah, that's the only thing. Is it going to break the bank? So, yeah, Space, SpaceX are killing it. And not only that, of course, we also had um, SpaceX, um, the yes. Dragon capsule, that has, which was a reused Dragon it capsule, was. if you remember. That has, that has splashed down in the Pacific Ocean this week. And what, one of the weird things is it was carrying mice. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so, so they had to rush and go and get this thing and get it to harbour because, yeah, it was carrying 10 control mice uh, from a live animal uh, experiment that was going on on the space station. Not many uh, news outlets covered the I'm fact that it had live stuff they, on there. I'm not surprised that they did uh, you know, ignore <laughs> that one. Poor little fellas. Yeah, that's not good. The dragon capsule has been manned, manned by mice. Yeah. Maybe they were trying to find out if the moon really is made of cheese. Because that's what I was always told as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't wait to debunk it when I go there when I'm 76. That's the age I worked out that I can go to the moon. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, we've, got, we've got a moon story later on, Jamie. Oh, have we It's going to be quite exciting. But I tell you what, I'm going to, at this point, I'm going to bring uh, our friend Debbie into the conversation. Let's see if we can, let's see see if if we can, we can get, get her in. hold of her. Let's see if we can get hold of her. One second. Hello, Matthew. Hello, Jamie. Oh, hi. This is brilliant. We thought technology was going to fail us because it hasn't been very good today, Debbie. Oh, OK. Yeah, I normally have that effect with technology. It normally goes a bit <laughs> peak tong. We, we, we cocked up way before you got on the line. <laughs> <laughs> We've been really struggling. Really struggling. You're not alone, <laughs> but we're all work. here, so this is great. How have you been, Debbie? Yeah, really, really well, thanks, yes. And um, and how have, you, how have you two been? Very well, yes. Absolutely smashing, if not slightly hot and bothered today. Well, there is that, but I'd rather be hot and bothered than um, 
Chivering. Unless the heat was caused by an asteroid. <laughs> yes. <And laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about, how about that for a link? That's pretty good. I like that. that was seamless. I like that, but that would be very bad. Very bad heat. So, Debbie, how was Asteroid Day for you? Um, it was it was fantastic. It really, really was um, a, a brilliant a brilliant event. Um, and um, and Dave Clements at Imperial College just made us feel so welcome, and he really, really looked after us. And the Brilliant. technology worked, which was such a bonus. Um, but I literally just turned up with my laptop, plugged the thing in, and I couldn't believe it. It worked straight away. So, oh, yeah, that was uh, it was a real pleasure to meet, of course, um, Helen Sharman, um, who, oh, is, yes. who is based at Imperial. And, and she's she's a delight. She's wonderful. Um, and um, and she again, she was very approachable, very amenable, very flexible um, and provided a really, really lovely welcome. Uh, sort of the, also the corporate welcome uh, as we were uh, at Imperial, but but also um, uh, a welcome into Asteroid Day um, and a little bit of the history behind it. So she was phenomenal. And what kind of thing was Helen saying? Um, just essentially really the importance of it. And, and sometimes that we forget, um, you know, be earthlings, um, that, of course, our space, uh, our space infrastructure is also at risk, um, you know, from really, really small objects. Um, and she pointed out that the, a splash of paint had actually cracked the window on the Mir space station. Yeah. Wow. Paint spec travelling at speed um, in space, um, you know, it didn't break the window, um, but it had a, had a big crack in it. Lord. Didn't Tim Peake take a, a, a similar picture of a, of a exactly. on the I International think... Space Station of where a, a, a speck of paint has gone into the it, one of the windows there. Exactly. Like, so, gulp. you know, there's no immunity from wherever we are, be it on Earth or in space. There's no immunity from these tiny objects or, or obviously even the bigger ones. Um, so it was again, it was it was fascinating, I think, as well for us that we've got all our all our satellites up there for um, satnav satellite navigation. That's the word I was looking for. You know, all mm. of that is at risk. But of course, weather tell us uh, weather satellites are up there as well, of course. Um, and again, with sort of um, ascertaining where, you know, natural hazards are, sort of floods, hurricanes, that sort of thing that they can see from space. All of that technology is at risk. Yeah. It's it's also like food distribution, like the, all the supermarkets exactly. and farms and everything rely on satellite information just to get stuff in the shops on time. Like the supermarkets. It's like we are so dependent on satellites these days. It's in, it's incredible. It, it, yes, um, and of course, what's really lovely is is people like Helen, um, you know, sort of wading in behind and, and lending her, their support uh, for the Asteroid Day initiative, um, which was which was really, really encouraging and, and yet really sort of quite extraordinary and quite exciting, really, to be sort of particularly it's it's still in the early days, Asteroid Day, of course. So to have people sort of coming in um, and sort of um, sort of getting behind it, um, getting behind the initiative and promoting it. Um, for me, it's just so encouraging. Absolutely. And did you see a lot more engagement this year? Was it more in the public's kind of conscience? The lecture theatre at Imperial College was, was absolutely fantastic. Um, and uh, and it held about, you know, it had the capacity for 240 people. Um, but I think we were missing a little bit of a trick in that I think we should have perhaps engaged more with technology um, and, and perhaps had an event where people could sort of, you know, um, watch it online from the comfort 
um, of their of their offices or homes, um, except mm. that was definitely something I really wanted to do. It was one of those things. I had I had a meeting called right at the last minute, right in the middle of the day. Couldn't get out of mm. it. And it was just like, damn, I can't go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like been in my diary for months. And it, and it was like, no. you know, you you weren't the first person. Um, and in fact, I was having a, a lovely chat uh, at lunchtime um, with a, with a superb superb chap peter Bertwistle. had lunch with him had the pleasure of having lunch with him on the roof of imperial college and we were saying that actually you know we we, we, we celebrate or we mark asteroid day international asteroid day on um, the uh, on june 30th which of course was the um, the anniversary of the tunguska event in june uh, obviously june mm-hmm. 30th and we sort of thought well actually you know how inconsiderate of the asteroid um, at Tunguska, you know, <laughs> right in the middle of sort of, um, you know, term time um, and on the last day of term, um, yeah. when, of course, people are phenomenally busy. <laughs> so we sort of think, well, you know, and then so you think about February. Well, you know, again, the weather can be bad in February. So people, you know, can be stuck. You know, they can't mm. travel. So we were trying to think of maybe another day. That was perhaps a little bit more convenient. Don't, don't move the day. Don't move. I mean, next year it'll be good because it'll be a, it'll be a Saturday, well, won't it, it? Next year, exactly. It will be a Saturday next that year. Will help. I think on that well, on that basis, I think it would be a lot a lot easier. Um, and we're certainly, not, we're not going to miss it next year. No, good. Definitely no. Marvelous. No way. Marvelous. Was there any of the talks that kind of really took your breath away, as and you weren't expecting some? amazing fact because i know you're kind of really up on this so it would be quite hard to to, to amaze you but was there was there, was there anything that you went oh wow i didn't know that um well of course i mean i've got to be honest as a, as a non-scientist i was i was blown away um because the, the majority of the speakers of course you know are eminent scientists and and, and terribly scientific and and me as a, a, a lowly emergency planner and i do my damnedest not to kind of stray into territory where I can get myself into a bit of trouble. Um, mm-hmm. But I think one of the things I did want to share with you, I know you were asking me for some for some um, neo or asteroid facts. Well, what yeah, I can tell you, you might know this. Well, you might know this already. So my apologies if I send you to sleep. Um, <laughs> but the, the the figures that I did a bit of prep before um, I was uh, I went on the boards on Friday. Um, mm-hmm. And um, there are 733,000 known asteroids. And Whoa. of that, yeah, exactly. Um, now, of that population, um, there are a total of 16,355 near-Earth objects. Well, ha- well, well, how inconvenient of them to leave the asteroid belt. I mean, wh- why do they leave the asteroid belt? I mean, it's just like, so, so annoying. Yeah, <laughs> We're safe <get> there. Back. <laughs> this is why, um, you know, detection uh, is just so key um, to this hazard um, and being able to monitor and track and identify um, and map the orbits um, of these objects is really, really key. Um, and of course, I suppose the biggest thing, you know, and I know that I sort of probably went on a little bit or wax lyrical or bored you rigid about funding um, back in, when we last spoke in February. Um, and effectively, you know, we need in order to, to be able to sort of track these objects much more robustly and much more carefully, um, then obviously we need to have space based um, telescopes. Um, and of course, the biggest thing for me, of course, very sadly, that the um, the AIM, the ESA, um, European Space Agency Asteroid Impact Mission, mm. um, was 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 cancelled. 
um, because, or I say cancelled, perhaps um, they want to use sort of inflammatory, inflammatory language. Um, perhaps I should say mothballed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Um, and and I sort of think you know that that for me was the the, the sort of the, the the main sort of I say takeaway because that that sounds a bit sort of um, mm. uh, a bit trite really, but it, but it's not. I think the the main the main thing for me really. Um, the conclusion we had, we had a little bit of a discussion at the end after all of the speakers had had, uh, had spoken, um, and of course we were joined by Lembit Opik, the uh, the former Lib Dem MP, who was very involved with the task force report uh, back in two thousand. Um, and what was really really fantastic was the fact that you know he is very keen now um, to become involved. Um, and, uh, and part of the discussion that we had is obviously sort of lobbying the government, um, certainly in the UK. Um, in order to sort of think about the contribution that the UK uh, makes to European Space Agency. Um, so, you know, for these various initiatives that are required, basically it's an insurance policy in order to keep us safe. It, it's not boring because I think it, it's something that, that, that I suppose listeners can get involved because they can write to their MP and say, we, need, we, we actually do need to do something about this. It's this like, is the thing, you know, if we stay silent, then... Then nothing you will can't be done. just have something happen, and then that's when we all jump on it, which is often the way with governments. But so, Debbie, when you say near Earth, how far away are these sixteen thousand? That's that's part of the uncertainty, really, of of the hazard, um, and that's why sort of constant monitoring of these objects is required. Um, yeah. And of course, there is a huge um, uh, reliance on on amateur astronomers um, and observatories and professional astronomers. Um, in order to track these objects, um, because obviously they they vary, and, and of course, if they sort of disappear behind the sun, then we can't track them at all. Which yeah. again, it sort of comes back to my point about having space-based technology and space-based yeah. um, telescopes, so that they can look at infrared um, m- far more easily. Um, and of course, because there's very limited with ground-based telescopes, very limited sort of field of view. Um, and of course, the difference between sort of daytime sky and nighttime sky. Um, so it, that's I think that's that's the issue for me, really, more than sort of how far away these things are and how close they are. Um, I mean, in June last month, we had a, a couple of um, close approaches. Um, if I'm supposed I'm being a bit sort of pedantic, they came within 252,700 miles of, um, of Earth's orbit between us and obviously uh, and the moon. So they came within that distance. Um, and um, so yeah. they are considered, you know, sort of close approaches. But luckily, you know, thankfully, they, they, they didn't hit. But the issue, I suppose, for me is the frequency of close approaches. Um, you know, I sort of think that they're knocking on the door and say, hello, uh, we're here. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And we are in a very asteroid active yeah. um, environment uh, and have been for some time. Um, and I suppose I honestly thought that there would have perhaps been more um, interest as a result of the Chelyabinsk um, fireball uh, back in February 2013, you know, where people were, they were injured as a result of that and buildings were damaged. And of course, the fact that it was witnessed, I mm. honestly sort of thought that perhaps that would perhaps have garnered more public engagement sort of in thinking, well, what would happen if that was over our city or London or, yeah. you know, wherever people are living. And I suppose that sort of surprised me that that it didn't. But we've got the fifth anniversary of Chelyabinsk coming up in February next year. 
Um, and um, and we've a couple of us have actually talked about perhaps you know doing some kind of a um, a publicity or or some type of event in order to mark the the occasion and just to remind ourselves that you know there is no immunity um, and the smaller objects of course which are harder to see that's where the problem is we can't see the smaller ones the smaller ones are harder to track um, so of course we can't do any um, warning there's no warning time. Um, and I think that, again, is, is the frustration that, you know, if we had the funding um, that we were able to sort of, um, you know, be able to sort of um, perhaps raise more awareness on, on the hazard. And again, as I've mentioned back in February, of course, making sure that the hazard is included on the UK National Risk Register and that it's risk assessed. And I think that's that's the other thing that we sort of um, uh, that the speakers, um, all of us came to the conclusion um, on Friday that that's what we needed to do. We needed to try and sort of pool our efforts um, with sort of how to sort of take the task force report forward um, and to actually ensure that, you know, the, uh, the hazard is risk assessed. The one thing it's quite similar to is, uh, is um, solar yeah. mass ejections as well, isn't it? Because you've got that hazard doesn't seem to be treated particularly seriously. And I, I heard a, a fact about that, that there's a... 12% chance every decade of a satellite and infrastructure yes, destroying yes. Uh, solar storm. <laughs> and you think, well, I, I, I don't know what the statistics are, but I wonder if that's an even bigger risk. And, there, and nobody's doing anything about that. No one's really seems to be that concerned about that. And, and it, it, it kind of is almost an existential threat, you know, in terms of the way that our society is set up, both of those events. Well, ex exactly. And of course, you know, rather reassuringly, um, the um, the space weather is is featured on the UK National mm. Risk Register. Oh, okay. So that's that's a step in the right direction. It is encouraging. But of course, then you need to have people who are experienced um, in being able to explain the extent of the hazard. Um, and what can be done about it? And of course, um, I, I did hear, you know, it has it has quite a, a damaging effect on um, on IT infrastructure. Um, and it's just a simple process of sort of making sure that Ethernet cables are, are protected and, and, and you can buy these now. But of course, it's one of those things where you sort of think, oh, it'll never happen. Or, well, how serious yeah, is it? Absolutely. And oh, well, that's in my my, my to do list. It's no, kind of like when people say that they're going to go yeah. to the dentist every six months, but they don't. They don't do it. You know, they wait till their tooth hurts and then they go. And, <laughs> and then, then it's, it's too late and you don't see those little holes because you don't feel them. Although you are talking to the wrong person here because I go every three months. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, well. Matt, are you, are you like me? I, I have to admit, I only go when I'm in pain. It's terrible. I shouldn't. I haven't. I haven't been for four years. Oh, four years. I, I, I know. Yeah, I know. I'm not that bad. <laughs> oh lord. No, I just. Yes, I, I'm. I'm paranoid about losing my teeth. Matt, mm. we're going to have to I take be, a really. podcast trip to the dentist after this. I, th I, I think yeah. so. Um, but you know, but it, uh, very seriously, this is this is what happens when it's easy to do. You know, preparation. It's easy to think about it and to be organised. Um, rather than it, you know, when your teeth start falling out or you're in agony or you're in pain. You know, that's too late. The, the damage has been done. Sorry, not... not yeah, all right. All right, Debbie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> You're screwed, Matt. You're screwed. Oh, no. Funnily enough, well, funnily, now we're talking about it, all my teeth are hurting. This is a good advert for Colgate. 
This, yeah. this week is sponsored by Colgate. <laughs> Excellent. Um, perhaps they'll sponsor an asteroid deflection mission. Oh, oh, I'd love that. oh we'll, well, get there we go. For you. we'll get some money for you. We'll get some money. Excellent. So, Debbie, what would you, in an ideal world, like to see? Um, I mean, you spoke about obviously, you know, the money aspect is obviously a big thing and the awareness. But is there anything else that you'd like to see any more of that we can help with with anyone who's listening today? Well, I think that's the, the key thing, I think, is public engagement, because um, I, I do appreciate that from an MP's perspective, um, that if they have a lot of people writing in with their concerns uh, about the hazard and the fact that nothing's really been done about it. Um, I also had a look on the um, on the government website. And um, if I had a hundred if I raised a petition and I managed to get 100,000 signatures on the petition, yeah. Um, then, then, then the subject, you know, would be debated in Parliament, and I suppose that was for me sort of quite encouraging. Um, and I think particularly with, with with online signatures and that kind of thing now, that I think very quickly, um, you know, I think we could have a hundred. I say very quickly, within a reasonable time frame, shall we say? Um, Absolutely, that think, that's that's doable. I think it, it is. is so it's, it's an that's idea doable. that's sort of been floating in my head over the weekend, sort of since you sort of have the sort of the, the post-asteroid day recovery and then the sort of, you know, return to normal. Um, it's sort of things that I've been thinking simply, literally as a way just to, again, keep the momentum going from asteroid day to keep the awareness levels up. Um, and I think people are are keen to support. Um, but of course, I think they, they want to know exactly what to say to their MP. Absolutely, um, yeah. Um, and I think for me, it's sort of, basic sort of simple messages for me would be governments increase government spending to the UK space agency and that more funding um, and, and more autonomy with the UK space agency um, to fund research and development um, programs and projects and particularly in relation to work with the UN because there are a number of, of work streams that come out from the United Nations which again need funding um, in order to to be realized uh, potential, you know, the, the potential to be fully realised. Uh, so, of course, there is an element of that. Um, and I think really just to make sure that the, you know, Brexit has has certainly come at a, an interesting time. Um, but I certainly think as the key thing as part of the Brexit negotiations is that the funding from the British government does continue um, to support the various missions for the, for the European Space Agency. Because, yeah. you know, we can do a lot with our European colleagues um, and certainly support, continue to support the, um, the, 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 the scientists, the space scientists fraternity, particularly with their initiatives, because it's far better if we could contribute to a European wide uh, um, pro- programme uh, rather than us trying to sort of do it, our, do it ourselves. So they, they for me, would, would be the key messages. Um, and certainly I sort of think if I do put um, a petition together, then I will let you know and, and then perhaps... Perhaps we can have a chat about the petition. Oh, please do. I totally think, totally think you should do that. And as you know, Debbie, now that we're big time podcasters, we'll get literally tens of people signing that for you. So <laughs> please let us know. Well, if every one of our listeners signs it, you know, we, we, we'll get we'll get over that milestone by 10, 10 or 15 times. See, I'm going the other way to Jamie. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> That's the confident one. Yeah, we, we, we should we should smash it. 
And if they tell their friends and they tell six of their well, friends, well, we do know we do know other people in the uh, in the podcast world. We should definitely get this out there. I think that should be our mission. We'll get it out to our friends at Miko and We Martians and Orbital Mechanics, so they'll get them out to all of those. And we'll and brilliant, brilliant. I mean, I, and I think that really because petitions yeah. certainly do seem to um, to engage um, members of the public, and the fact that they can then see very quickly you know that their that their voice or their name carries weight um so i do recognize that people are busy and they perhaps don't have the opportunity to write to their mp or even just you know ping them an email uh, their signatures adding their signatures to a petition would certainly carry weight and they can do it from the comfort of their smartphone so, e- so ex- exactly I know that sounds like a flat Gordon <laughs> quote, but I'm serious, guys. Okay. Debbie, it's been really nice to hear you again and speak to you again. Absolutely. And we, we, we're both obviously gutted and, uh, and apologise for not, not being there on, on Friday because we would really have liked to have gone. We'll uh, make up but, for it in 2018. We'll do, we'll do the February, we'll do the February day, a proper show on February again for the uh, year anniversary of our first show and the... Shelly uh... Binsk. Oh, Shelly um, Binsk. That would be fantastic. And um, But yes, guys, I'm, I'm sorry that um, you, were, you were otherwise called away. Um, I yeah, do no. hate it when work gets in the way of Asteroid Day. Oh, yeah, no. I know, I know. <laughs> well, well, you know, I've, well, we've still not met Helen Sharman, and I'd, 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 like I said, Lewis Dartnell was Lewis Dartnell was there, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yes, and I, I had, uh, had Lewis Dartnell. I had Jonathan Tate from the Space Guard Centre, and of uh, course, that's the home of the National Near Earth Object Information yeah. Centre. Um, we had Peter Burt whistle because he was providing the sort of the talk on amateurs and uh, near Earth object follow up. Um, we had uh, Denis Pelleran. Um, who uh, did a, a wonderful, wonderful presentation on uh, Dr. Brian May's astro stereo photography. Um, and of course, that was in 3D. So we were sitting there with our 3D specs on. Um, and that was just phenomenal. It, it really, really was. Uh, and then Jerry Stone um, came along and, uh, and he gave his uh, presentation entitled, We're All Going to Die. Yeah, I've been to that one. Talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so, uh, and then Simon Green, Professor Simon Green uh, from the Open University, he came along and uh, discussed the um, the asteroid impact mitigation test mission. So that the link Perfect. up there with with Ada, um, and of course AIM. Um, so it was um, it was it was really informative, uh, really really kind of instructive. And I met I met a younger version of me, um, which sounds a bit bizarre. Um, but I was approached. I was <laughs> well, there was time people. travel involved. It, exactly. I like it. Exactly. Well, it was Imperial College. So. In, indeed, anything, anything can happen. Um, and I met um, a, a lovely student um, from a, another university in London uh, who's doing risk analysis in relation to near-Earth objects. And he wanted to come and talk to me while I was in London. And I said, well, well forget just talking to me. Um, come along and to, to Asteroid Day. So he came along um, and he found it absolutely fascinating. Um, and he was brand new to the subject um, so it found for him it provided um, a really really good grounding and and great for me that there's somebody looking at this again from a risk perspective you know to be able to sort of uh, provide that service you know to someone doing his dissertation at master's level um, was was extremely rewarding um, and it just really sort of just confirms you know my uh, my commitment to uh, to asteroid day and um, doing all I can to communicate. The, uh, the risks associated with the, with the hazard. Absolutely. And thank you so much for doing that. Like, thank goodness there are people like you out there trying to look after us lot. 
you know. Well, lovely to talk to you both. Great to speak to you. Thanks so much, Debbie. You take care and I'll, and I'll be in touch with my petition. Awesome. Do it. Absolutely. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye. Take care. Thanks, Debbie. Take Bye. care. Thank you. Bye. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Jamie. Bye. See ya. Bye. How lovely is Debbie? She's just the best. Absolutely awesome. She's just so full of life. It's great. When you when you get passionate about a subject, it's uh, yeah, that's what happens, isn't it? That's what you should always try and do in life. Absolutely. Here, here. Despite this balmy weather, mm. uh, Earth is furthest away from the sun this week. Ah, is that today? No, not today. It was a couple of days ago, but... Okay. Yeah, isn't it weird that summer we're far away and in winter we're quite close? It's 30 degrees today. It doesn't feel like we're that far away. No. The sun is big, isn't it? Get your bangers out. That's that's sausages, man. Yeah, we we should quickly mention um, uh, China's disaster this week. So China's uh, Long March Five, which we covered the uh, the maiden voyage, which went really really well. But this Mm -hmm. uh, uh, this week they've had a uh, failure of Long March Five. Which, um, oh. in the word of our friend Jonathan McDowell, who was speaking to The Verge, uh, yes. he says, this is important. The Long March 5 is their flagship rocket. Uh, it's key for their ambitions. So they've got to get it right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but he's... Well, let's hope they can pick up the pieces and have a successful yeah, launch in fact, Actually, time. I should mention that Elon Musk did actually instantly tweet that he felt so really sorry for them and it's always... Really hard to see people well, having he, a failing rocket. He knows, rocket. What, it's he knows like. what it's like. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, there we go. And look at him now. Uh, another great thing that happened this week is the Japanese have revealed their plans to put a man on the moon by 2030. They have. How exciting is that? It's, it really is hotting up on the moon. Isn't it is it? pretty. It, it's, it is actually genuinely hotting up on the moon. I think. So this will be a NASA-led mission, right? Yeah. So this is. I think. I think part of this is that they're saying that they're going to use their expertise to help build this deep space gateway, uh, yeah. you know, the, uh, which is going to be this station that orbits the moon. And I think they're going to try... The DSG. And, the DSG. <laughs> and I think they're going to try and help build that, because obviously, they, they, you know, this, this is now what the SLS is being built for. So this is... Uh, un- <laughs> they're, they're now not building the SLS to go and visit um, asteroids. Um, no. uh, so they're now going to do this deep space gateway and uh, Japan are going to be involved and, and they're going to give all this expertise and equipment in the hope that they'll be able to send a Japanese astronaut or what, Japanese astronauts? I can't remember what they're called now. Oh, I don't know. Damn! We'll have to find oh, out. We, we, we've covered this and we, now we've forgotten. We have. It's so we annoying. Have said it. <laughs> Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so, that, so they're going to try and get a Japanese astronaut on the moon by 2030, which I think is really cool. That's such great news. And the Japanese are also involved with the uh, Mercury mission Bepi Colombo, which I uh, oh, alluded yes. to earlier on. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because it's uh, ESA are, being, are going to stick it on display for a while uh, because it's, it's kind of just been finished. And they're going to stack it up because it's made up of two satellites, one built by ESA and one Mm. built by the Japanese. Ah, okay. So Europe's built the Mercury Planetary Orbiter, the MPO, and the Japan have built the Mercury Magnetospheric Orbiter, the MMO. Oh, yes. And uh, do you know where they're being put on display, Jamie? I don't, tell me. They're being put on display at Eztek uh, in Nordvivich in the Netherlands. And where are we oh. going, Jamie? 
in on we're the 8th going of October. To Amsterdam. So yes, we I'm so excited. Oh my god. So we're going to Matt, it's our first it's our first space trip overseas podcast space trip. Yeah, I know, it's going to be genius. So on ESA open day, so if anyone is going to that as well, which I just imagine that there's, Hit us up, there, there's quite a few of you out there, then drop us a line and we'll all meet up and all have a, a, a special drinks. Because I know how our have a space pod, beer. podcast fans like to buy me a drink. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, and I, I know that you, you guys owe me some because I was. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, the point. So. Jamie, I, Jamie, I owe you half, I'm owed I, half a point. You are owed half a point from the last time. So, yeah. That, well, maybe the, we can get some Heineken in uh, Amsterdam. So, go and read about the Bepi Colombo mission. It's, it's, a, it's a really. It's, it's basically going to try and do what Messenger, which. Um, Mariner 10 and Messenger, which were NASA's two missions to Mercury. Basically, Mercury is the, yeah. is the least uh, explored planet of the inner rocky planets. And uh, we mm. don't know that much about it. All we know is it's, it's a bit of a mystery why it's so iron-rich and such a thin mm. mantle. So they think it might be a bit like Psyche. It might have been one of these planets that's had all its outer layers smashed off by a terrible collision. Um, yeah. And uh, but Mariner Ten and Messenger didn't get enough information to prove it one way or the other, so uh, it's kind of that's why they're sending this Bepi Colombo over there to do it. It's Bepi Colombo obviously has to withstand insane temperatures, yeah, and it's costing one point three billion euros for for Americans. That's one point four billion dollars. And for the UK, yes. that's one point one billion pounds. God, the exchange rate's terrible. <laughs> nice conversions, man. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but that doesn't include the Japanese MMO, by the way. That's that's just no. the European uh, bit of it. So it's got to survive. It's expensive industry, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's got to survive temperatures of four hundred and twenty-five degrees centigrade down to minus one hundred and eighty degrees centigrade. Blimey. Yeah. Uh, and it's the uh, Mercury's the only planet with its with its own global magnetic field, although it's really lopsided, which I believe is a mystery. So that's mm. that's that's interesting. So that's a mystery that's hopefully Bepi Colombo will uh, solve that one. And do you know what it's going up in? Go on, Ariane Five. Oh, it's your favourite, Matt. <laughs> yes. Well, you know what? Look, Matt. At the end of the day, mm-hmm. some people are just some people are lopsided, and some people aren't. Yep. Just deal with it. So guess how long it takes to get there? I'm going to say seven months. Seven years. What? You were out by 12 times out. Get out of town. So it's going to take seven years. And actual fact, it's one of the most fascinating things about the mission is, is the orbital mechanics of getting, uh, getting Bepi Colombo there. So it's got a gravity assist from Earth. It's got two flybys of Venus before it even attempts sort of going in towards Mercury. So you didn't tell me all this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I did. I did tell you. Well, then I definitely know. Uh, and, and one of the really interesting ones, because it's so close to the sun, and the sun is hmm. so massive, and Mercury is travelling so fast, there's a lot of Einstein's general theory of relativity going on. So it's, so it's going to be uh, a, another good excuse to test quite a few of Einstein's theories uh, and see how robust um, general relativity is. Yes, let's put it to the test, let's Einstein. Let's put it to the Uh Who I... is our astronaut of the week? We have... Nicholas James McDonald Patrick. Yeah, Nicholas Patrick, 
who is... NJMP to his mates. We were talking about Helen Sharman, who, of course, the first British person in space. Yeah. Nicholas was the fourth. It's not too shabby, is it? We mentioned Mike Fole and, of course, Pierce Sellers, we've mentioned, and Helen Sharman. But we've not yeah. really talked about Nicholas Patrick very much, have we? Which we should, Which we should because do. some of these stats... Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. So he's he's flown two space shuttle missions. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we'll get on to those later, because it's quite interesting. So he was educated at Harrow School. And for those that don't know, Harrow is is <laughs> it's quite a posh school, isn't it? Shall I tell it's, you who've been there, man? Go on then, tell me the alumni. Churchill, Byron, Blunt, <laughs> with Nail, and Uncle Monty. <laughs> I like the fact it's like Churchill, Lord Byron, and James Blunt. <laughs> James Blunt, James well, you Blunt. can't leave... You can't leave Blunt, yeah. No, and with Nail, yeah, and, Unc- yeah. with Nail and Uncle Monty, of course, a fictional... Uh, alumni yes. from the uh, Harrow School, but you know that That's in some ways true. that shows how. Uh, and if you haven't seen with Nell and I, you must go. Oh, you one must of the best films ever. What are you doing, Monty? Um, you terrible. <laughs> that was close. Wasn't yeah, it? It was. Um, if you hit me, it'll be murder. Receiving an <laughs> undergraduate degree in engineering in 1986 from Trinity College. Now, go on, hit me, <laughs> Trinity College. Hit me with the uh, alumni of that. Go. Okay, you ready for this? Yep. Newton, Maxwell, Rutherford, Bohr, Bertrand Russell, Old Uncle Martin Rees, Tennyson, <laughs> Vanessa, Vanessa Feltz, <laughs> Richard Osman. Richard Osman. Uh, oh, I like Richard Iron Maiden's Osman. managers. Iron Maiden's and, and managers. The, and the owners of Sanctuary Records when they were going. Anthony Gormley. Yeah, Anthony yeah, Gormley. absolutely. Yeah, the wow. Gormeister himself. So, Incredible. yeah. Well, I mean, it wins on Newton, Maxwell, Rutherford, Bohr, Russell. I mean, that's just as enormous as it can get. Yeah, it's, ridiculous. it's pretty big, isn't so it? So he's, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants there. And while he was at mm. Cambridge, he learnt to fly in the Royal Air Force's Cambridge University Air Squadron. How mm-hmm. posh is that? Uh, oh, and God, it, it really is. <laughs> and he spent his summers as a civil engineer inspecting bridges in New York and Connecticut. Be- nice. Yeah. So he's he's one of these people that sort of spent half his time in London, half his time in uh, New York. So he considers himself a citizen of both those cities. Hmm. Um, uh, then he went to work for um, the aircraft division of General Electric in uh, Massachusetts. Uh-huh. And at that point, he decided to go to Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Go and hit me, hit me with the alumni. Go. It's Richard Feynman, Matt. That's all you need to know. However, more than one third of the United States manned space flights have included MIT educated astronauts, including Buzz Aldrin. <laughs> Co- Absolutely. Kofi Annan went there. The Koch brothers. Yeah. Just goes on. Yeah, on. so he got his master's degree and his PhD in 1996, and uh, that was in mechanical engineering, in which he, uh, his interests were telerobotics, aviation psychology, decision theory, and optimization. Sounds like we should get him down to Mars Nation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, no, 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 yeah, definitely. He'd be pretty good. Uh, he yeah. might be busy with his current job, but we'll get on to that. So, yeah, so he, became a U- he became a US citizen in 1994 while studying uh, at MIT. So, he, so then after that, he joined Boeing Commercial Airplane Group in Seattle as a systems uh-huh. and human factors engineer, which is the same job, by the way, as Mike Massimino, human factors engineer. So that's how... You are able to do things like 
uh, change gear and steer at the same time. You, you've got to take all the consideration that you, you, it's got to be drivable by a human being. So it's, yes. it's that kind of, it's actually, I'd imagine, quite complicated and hard. Uh, and yes. then he managed to get a, a NASA, as being a NASA astronaut candidate in 1998. And STS-116, as we said, 2006, that, uh-huh. that was essentially building and wiring up the space station. And STS-130, wow. when he went up, took up the... Tran- that can't be a small job. No, it's not. And it, So STS-130 took up the tranquility mo- uh, node and took up the cupola <laughs> module. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he, he's known for putting on the finishing touches of the tranquility module. So that's, you know... Imagine that. Yeah, so he's, you know, he's one of the sort of builders. Essentially, he's, he's the builder of... Uh, he's the builder of dreams. Yeah. And he took up a Scottish flag from the, that came from the Parliament. Uh, right. And now that has been left in the museum in Edinburgh. He's worked as a Capcom. He's also been an aquanaut and have been down in Nemo 6 and Nemo 13 on training missions. And in right. 2012, he retired from NASA and joined Jeff Bezos at Blue Origin. Oh, wow. So, yes, and this is what he said at the time. He says, what you want to do is get people there safely and allow them to experience it in the way they're going to experience it. Everyone's a little bit different. It's a question of pushing all the boundaries. We want the best experience possible. So he's obviously taking his human factors engineering into that job. He Absolutely. wants that to... Uh, yeah, so he's very much involved with the uh, New Shepherd uh-huh. uh, and, and getting uh, people up on that uh, little... Um, getting them up, uh, space tourists into space, being flung up on that reusable rocket. Sending up the flock. So what yeah. I did there, Matt. Yep. Flock. <laughs> yeah. It's good. <laughs> yeah, very good. Uh, so he's logged more than 2,300 hours as a pilot, 20 types of aeroplane <laughs> and helicopters. That's quite a few hours. He holds three patents in telerobotics, flight displays and integrated aircraft alerting systems. That's one less than me. Yeah, he spent 26 days, 14 hours and 52 minutes in space. He's got three Blimey. children by his Peruvian wife. Do you know the thing that uh, I noticed about <laughs> about uh, Nicholas Patrick? Nick Go Patrick. On. I've seen a few videos that he's done for Blue Origin. And uh-huh. uh, he actually looks, without being silly, a little bit like Oliver Reed. That's who he reminds really? me of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got that kind of quite a burly Englishman kind of thing about him. Oliver Reed, what a genius. <laughs> yeah. That, that... The Devil's one of my favourite films ever, man. Oh, yes. Well, FYI. Ac- correctly so. It's a brilliant film. Incredible. Yeah, ace, ace. So, yeah. So... I think Nick Patrick deserves a big old round of applause. What well, he's got, he's got quite a lot under his belt, and he's. Uh, I am going to tip my cap yeah, to him. A, what Brit- a, a very, legend. very, very underrated British hero doesn't get enough mention, does he? This is why we're doing this, Matt. We're giving shout outs to these yeah. people that you don't really know. Yeah. And um, so, and we, you know, who, we're giving them some some shout outs. Yeah. So who exactly. we do, who are we doing next week, Jamie? Oh, let me tell you who we're doing next week. Are you ready for this, yep. Matt? I mean, are you sure you're ready I'm for this ready. name? I'm ready. Franklin That's a good Chang name. Diaz. I mean, I hope we're pronouncing we've that. got to be related. Yeah. So if anyone out there has got like a really juicy tidbit 
that they want to share with us uh, to add into our little biography of astronauts because this is going to this is going to be one of the great repositories of astronaut information in the future oh for sure yeah uh, and- I mean, people are already p- making into a time capsule, if I know our listeners. <laughs> uh, so, Listeners, um, I know that we say at the end of every podcast, and I don't care if it's boring, but know this. We really love you, and we equally love when you subscribe. <laughs> you see what I've done there? Yeah. Right? We love it when you subscribe. We love it when you, when you send us questions um, and little thoughts um and you know you just just as matt said your your general inquiries if you want us to mention anything but please comment um go to itunes and leave us a nice review because it really helps us oh, it massively helps and you know and it, and it spurs us on even if it's just small words of kindness we we read it and our little faces light up as we look at the screen and go that some they do. someone actually liked us jamie Someone is engaged. So, until next week, Space Cats, thank you for joining the Interplanetary Podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye. And have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful week. See you. See you soon. Bye.